clinical disclaimer. This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you. Welcome to the University of Pleasure. Where we have sexual conversation to help build a happier nation. I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. And I'm Jeremiah James, and I'm just a guy who likes talking about sex. Guess what today is, Doc? Guess what it is. What is today? It's second year in a row. It's your birthday! Yeah, that's right. You forgot for the second year in a <laughs> row. In a row! Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't... I forgot until you said, guess what, today. But I didn't totally forget. <laughs> I get like 25% credit. <laughs> 25%. <laughs> And we're back. And yes, it's your old pal Jeremiah James's birthday. Very exciting day because the Amy book is now released into the universe. We're very excited. Go out and check it out in all of your different places. And of course, to all of our millions of fans out there, don't forget, we still have a phone number and will forever and ever. So you can call in with even just your sex questions and leave us a voicemail. Now, unfortunately, we had announced this, but then neither of us set up the voicemail. Nobody it said was hard. Lizards. It was much harder to figure out than one would think. You would think <laughs> that it'd be like, oh, this is a simple task, but oddly. Wrong. <laughs> wrong. It was wrong. Totally technology, wrong. Technology had bettered us. <laughs> yes, it did. But it's all set up now. We got professionals involved. And uh, so do please go and give us a ring at 917 917- Three eight two zero six five three. If you have topics you'd like us to talk about, or if you just have questions about sex, we might even uh, do like a little thing, you know, where we have like a little, it's just a snippet every day. Hey, we got a question from so and so, Doc. You know, before the end of the episode, we should yeah. answer that question. What do you think? Yeah, or or your could have been better sex stories. That's right. Or or I always love a hey, this was a really great thing that happened. You know, sex story. That's fine yeah. too. Yeah. Absolutely. So don't forget, check it out. 917-382-0653. Leave us a voicemail. And of course, you can always email us at contact at universityofpleasure.com. And uh, we have one coming up where somebody emailed us. We're going to be answering some questions. And uh, yeah, so we still read all of our email. Still read. We always read our email. What am I saying still read for? Or we still have a phone number. It's early, Doc. We never record this. I early. know. This is way too early for both of us. <laughs> it's why it's why I forgot your birthday. If you would have given me one more hour and the rest of my coffee, I would have totally remembered. 100% don't believe you. But... <laughs> <laughs> No, here's what would have happened. Classic Tara would have been, I remember tomorrow. And then you would have got a text that's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Happy birthday. (laughs) Or next week. (laughs) Like I always say, to be fair, Doc, you have been dealing with a global uh, mental health crisis that's been going on and, uh, you know, the pandemic and all that stuff. So, hey, you get a lot of slack from me and I appreciate you. I appreciate your grace, but... um, I would have forgot it if it wasn't. <laughs> I'm not great. I'm not great with like Johnny on the spot birthdays. <laughs> Listen, I respect your truthiness, Doc. Yeah. I do. All I don't right. want you to give me too much credit. Uh, I would have probably done this in 2018. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So I think we've done, I think that's all of our official announcements, right? Everything's trucking along as per um, usual. We did have an, a guest, Calvin Howard, join us on our sex therapist shoot the yes, shit. Sex therapist. You, know you know what? I don't remember that is because I'm not in that show. So yeah, you're not a part of it. You're not. I'm glad that you're bringing that up. It, so yeah, I'm yeah. just the editor. Um, but we had producer. a lovely guest, um, a therapist that does a ton of sexual health work, Calvin Howard, come and record for our third episode, which will be released in a couple weeks. So. All right, here we go. Here we go, Calvin Howard. I Howard. heard good things about you. Howard. I'm excited to hear what. Howard. What did I say? Howard. Oh well, 
I mean, Calvin Howard. I'm sure there's lots of cool Calvin Howards too. But (laughs) this is Calvin Howard. All right. Well, let's finish up this episode that we started last week because we were doing a two-parter. For those of you who may not remember, and it's really important that we get this one done so we can see through to the other side, so to speak. Right, Doc? Yep. All right. So if you were turning in, tuning in, turning in, Jesus, it's way too early for this. Okay, if you're tuning in from last week, it was preserving, Jesus Christ, navigating sex and intimacy after a traumatic experience, part two. So we left off last week, Doc. We said we were going to kind of talk about some possibilities and how to navigate. We explained what it all was leading up to this episode, and now we're going to dive into navigating it. You know what I mean? That was our plan, right? Yeah, I think last episode we spent a fair amount of time, right? Well, we started talking, and then per usual, I was like, oh, this is long. We don't nearly have enough time. (laughs) So we... This was a more in-depth episode. Yeah, well, more in-depth, but also because... um, the last episode, and for those of you that haven't listened, to give it a listen. It'll make this one make more sense. Um, is, you know, when it comes to, I mean, people have so many different experiences of, um, you know, traumatic or difficult experiences that could impact their sexual functioning. There's so much variety in that, which also causes so much variety in the type of struggles they might be having afterward. Right. Right. So it's hard to kind of be like to give a cookie cutter, like just do this and it'll be fine. Right. Because people can have such a wide variety of what they struggle with. Right. One person could have a traumatic. And again, we're not speaking just about sexually traumatic experiences. Some people might have other types of traumatic experiences that also impact their sexual functioning. Um, You know, when we have big life events that can really impact desire levels and sexual interest and sexual functioning. Sure, sure. Um, And so, you know, you might have somebody that after a really traumatic experience all of a sudden has significantly reduced interest or even fear in sex. Or you could have someone that has a really traumatic incident and all of a sudden they find they're finding themselves sexually active in a way that feels kind of over the top for them or even out of control. Okay. Right. So things really run the gamut. So part of what is hard to just kind of be like, oh, well, yeah, like here's what it is and here's what to do. And there you go. That's why we needed a two parter. And even then we could probably have like an eight parter. Right, <laughs> we won't. Right. We won't. But we, we could because. Well, I think um, this is something maybe we uh, talk about every once in a while, just, you know, to kind of revisit. Because it's, you know, from from everything we talked about last week, I actually found it really fascinating. Not that I don't find everything you say fascinating, but, you know, there are times well, when I get real. a little you don't, Let's be real. You, you don't find everything I say fascinating. That's 100% true. That's what I was leading to. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this one I really did find fascinating because it really, you know, I'm somebody that, like, uh, for instance, like if, if sad things happen in my life or I'm having a struggle, I want to have sex more because it feels good to connect. Like it feels good to like want to be connected to somebody for five minutes. You know, it feels good for five minutes kind of a thing. You know, I just want to be very clear. I'm not saying it would only last five minutes. Yeah, I'm just saying it feels yeah. good for five minutes. Okay. But my point is that that's I, kind I of my... The, yeah, I appreciate I, the clarification. Absolutely. But I just want to, you know, like I... I want more of that, right? I like more connection, right? And, you know, sometimes we live in a world where it's like, you know, everybody's like that, right? But, you know, listening to yesterday was like, well, actually, people really aren't all like that. And and the explanation you were giving, I really did find fascinating. Like, say somebody has a traumatic experience in their life, you know, they lost a loved one or they've, you know... Uh, we're in a terrible car crash and, or I mean, who knows whatever this traumatic experience could be. And that might just turn all those dials right off, you know, like completely. Or, or just, I would say just, uh, <laughs> turn those dials in a bunch of different directions. Right. If you remember from last week's podcast, one of the things that I talked about is like, sometimes people can start to have a lot of just sort of confusion where there can be not always by any stretch. Like I said, there's a lot of different ways that this can impact people, but Awei can be like, not like people really wanting to want it. Right. Like being like, I'm very, 
desirous. I really want to be able to have sex and then, or be sexual in some kind of way. And then somebody gets to that event and there's almost like a freeze fear response, right? That's something that can absolutely happen. And so on the surface, it could look like, oh, see, they're just not interested in sex anymore, but it's much more complex than that. It's like, oh no, I'm interested, but I'm having this sort of activated traumatic sort of, uh, you know, I'm, People can have the, it's like, how far down the rabbit hole do I go here? But like people can have traumatic experiences and not necessarily meet criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. Sure. But some people do, right? But you can still have post-traumatic stress symptoms, even if you don't meet full criteria for a disorder. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. And, and so a uh, post-traumatic stress symptom is sort of sometimes finding yourself in like that fight or freeze or flee response, right? Where sort of the brain is like, oh no, you're in trouble, right? Because it's associating, it's associating what whatever what's going on with something being dangerous okay. or not safe. Okay. And even though, and that all happens, if you remember from what we talked about last time, that response all happens from the unconscious part of our brain, right? So you can have like that more animal part of our brain that's meant to protect us, right? That fight or flight response is coming from that more animal part of our brain. And so you can have the more like beautiful prefrontal cortex that's, you know, conscious, the conscious part of your brain going, I want sex. I would really like to be sexual. I want to have some fun. And then you can have that unconscious part of your brain going, nope, that's a bad idea. That's unsafe. That's right. You can't get that close to somebody. Otherwise mm. you might get hurt or whatever it might be. Yeah. And that creates a lot of tension for yeah. somebody. And again, that there's some people that have totally different experiences after trauma, but that's an experience, an experience that someone could have. And it often leads not only to that person being really confused, but their partner right? <laughs> as well. I'm sure you could imagine someone's partner might being like, so you're saying you want to be sexual with me or trust me to be sexual with me. But when we try to, all of a sudden you freeze up. Right. And if you put yourself in both people's positions, it can get very frustrating or very tricky, very fast. And that's and what we call you. <laughs> that would be right. Like I do recommend, right. That, um, and that's actually Jeremiah. You have no idea. That's a brilliant segue for what I was going to start talking about. <laughs> well, I'm in your mind, doc. Um, because yeah, like, um, there are certain degrees of like severity if people are struggling with it, that I, I do really recommend that you start talking to someone or see someone for professional health or for professional health. But there is sort of a, and this is, a bit of something that's important to talk about because there's a lot of like, I would call them like overly constricting narratives, uh, overly limiting narratives about what, what um, sexuality after trauma looks like, right? And so one of the things that sometimes people maybe believe, and sometimes it is the truth, is that if you go and work on your trauma in therapy, right? Again, like you specifically go work on whatever traumatic incident or incidents you may have had. Like, let's say there's lots of different like trauma approaches. EMDR is the one that's like talked about a lot and people maybe have heard of it and it includes like rapid eye movement and stuff. Okay, well, a, slow down there, coaches, because I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, it's it EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I'm sorry. Is this like, uh, what, what the hell? What, <laughs> what the hell <laughs> so, is that? Yeah. So there's lots of, you know, like not all therapy. Do you like, is this like something like, here's what I'm picturing in my mind. I'm picturing in my mind, like, you know, things you see in like movies where there's like a bunch of light bulbs flashing in my face and like, you know, uh, like some like weird photosynthesis. Like, I don't even know what to like describe it as. I don't even yeah, think that's the right Yeah, so word. it can, it, there's a lot of different um, things. So therapeutic like a lot of times when people are like you should go to therapy there's an assumption that all therapy looks the same it doesn't right there are different modalities there are different therapy approaches right so whenever any ther a lot of therapists that you know get very annoyed at tv therapists because like it's this very quintessential usually like psychoanalytic someone's laying on a couch and right so no <laughs> one has ever some people have tried to lay on my couch, but I'm usually like, what are you doing? Sit up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm nicer. I'm nicer about it. Some people all let lay down if it feels really important to them. But for the most part, I'm not, that's not really the type of therapy I do. That's more psychoanalytic therapy, but there's a bunch of different styles. And there's also like specific techniques 
that people might use. I say that because there's a lot of misnomers about what therapy maybe actually looks like when you get in the office of somebody. And it can be a lot of different things. But EMDR is a specific approach that was developed for trauma. And I need to be very clear, I am not specifically trained in EMDR, right? So I'm aware of what it is. However, there not are your people. focus. It's not, not your focus. Actually, you know who is? <gasps> we should ever come on. Laura Rodemacher. Oh, my best friend. You tell Laura Rademacher that I said hi next time you record with her and that we're going to have her on to talk about EMDR uh, right. because Jeremiah James wants to know. I'm interested. Yeah. I'm intrigued. It yeah. sounds very sci-fi to me, like well, I've seen it in sci-fi movies. So I'm totally up for this. Um, well, really, and it's used for all sorts. It's specifically, typically used for trauma, right? And it's a type of exposure therapy, essentially, in which, and there's different types of exposure therapy for trauma as well. But this is a specific type where you use typically eye movement in some kind of way, often with lights, certain kind of lights, and you're reprocessing certain aspects of traumatic experiences. Wow. So it's very intense. It's exposure therapy. So exposure therapy for trauma is typically, there's there's lots of different types of exposure therapy, but this is a type and you're doing it with this rapid, essentially like eye movement. And it's supposed to essentially kind of, remember we talked about trauma is happening in an unconscious part of the brain. Right. So and this is basically what you're saying is like, it's very intense. It it's, isn't. It's really hard. It can be. And it's well, not it something can be. like- I don't want to, I mean, it can be, but your therapist is there to lead you through it in the right. kindest, gentlest way possible. So this isn't basically, you can't get like a, a take home kit. Like you can get the, no. like, you know, like you go and see like a, somebody to do like laser stuff on your face and then they send you home with like a mask and you can wear the laser mask get rid of wrinkles like you're not going to get your own take-home yeah. kit for this you need a professional yes yeah no there's no take-home kit and i'm also concerned about the laser mask but that's a side conversation all right so, um, so, well i saw ingrid michaelson who i love by the way and and by the way ingrid michaelson if you ever want to come on the university of pleasure podcast we'd love to talk to you um i'm your biggest fan Anyway, Ingrid was wearing, she wears one of those masks on Instagram and it's like laser lights to like help get rid of wrinkles or something like that. Or like maybe it helps. I don't know. I just thought it was fascinating. Like you would take something like that home? Like what? Like anyway, yeah. so that was what this I was is, thinking. Uh, this, yeah, is this is not one of those things. This is not one of those things. But essentially EMDR is a specific type of trauma treatment and it is, it's exposure therapy based and anything that's exposure therapy based. Um, you know, you're talking very directly about trauma, but you're doing it in a very well-regulated, controlled environment. And I do trauma work, but I do it in a different way. Same deal, though, with some exposure therapy elements. And again, in a very controlled, paced, right? So like for those of people that are listening that are thinking about getting specific trauma treatment, like it, you know, typically, like I don't want to scare people away from that. It is intense and it is emotionally difficult, but you should be ideally working, if you're not, something to consider, but a provider that's like working with you like at a pace that feels safe and doable for you. So right. so basically don't do it on the cheap. Make sure you do it with somebody that's a true professional like Laura Rademacher and, uh, you know, like your old buddy Jeremiah James is not going to come over with a handful of flashlights and, and work on this <laughs> no, with you, okay? No, Even though no, I no. would be incredible at it and a great life no, coach. No, I don't. No offense. I I'm don't just, think you would be. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. The, I don't think you... Agree to disagree. I so. don't think you storming into someone's house with like a Coleman camping lamp is going to be <laughs> what... Really? I can see it. Can't you see it? <laughs> I can, and it terrifies me. So, um, <laughs> all right, all right. This yeah. is a good place. I think we should take a break now that you're terrified. Let you cleanse your <laughs> your palate for a minute, and then let's get back on track here because we're talking about uh, EMDR. What is it? ED. Uh, well, EMD. I was just mentioning EMDR as a type of EMDR. Was this not type of thing? But we're gonna get back to the topic. We veered off the path a little bit. Let's take a break, and we're gonna get back in to navigating the topic. All right, we'll be right back. And we are back. Persevering through pleasure is what we're talking about here today, folks. This is part two, navigating sex and intimacy after traumatic experiences. And uh, so let's dive back into navigating a little bit, Doc. Like, how do yeah. we navigate this world? Yeah, well, my whole 
the whole now is it uh, before we started talking about EMDR, different types of trauma treatment. One of the things I was going to say is there is a narrative that sometimes if you go and you do trauma treatment, like so, let's say something like EMDR therapy, that that means that any of the sexual concerns you're having will just go away. Sometimes that's not true, right? So sometimes people can go and directly work on trauma and they find maybe some of their trauma activation, right? Like, especially if someone is having maybe more classic sort of PTSD type symptoms, they might find that those really get under better control through that treatment, but then they still have residual sexual health concerns. And I say that because a lot of times that is an expectation we have like, oh, you're having, you had trauma and now you have sexual concerns. Just go work on the trauma and that'll sort all of your sexual health stuff out. But that's not true. That's sometimes it is. Sometimes. And sometimes it's not right. Because the brain likes patterns, right? And sometimes, and relationships like patterns. And so sometimes people can get very stuck. The brain, not purposefully someone is right. Uh, a dynamic between like a couple, like, so let's say somebody is struggling with maybe more of that sexual avoidance response because they're, it's just they're that fight, flight, or fear for whatever reason, sex feels really hard to approach. And they go and they feel really activated just more globally around whatever traumatic experiences they had. And they go and they do specific trauma treatment and that really helps. But them and their partner have gotten in a really tricky pattern of distress and avoidance around sex. Sometimes that treatment's not going to just suddenly make that go away. And I don't say that to be, and it can, you know, it can help drastically. But I say that not to be depressing, but because sometimes there are sort of residual things that still need to be sorted out because it's complicated. And when I say I'm just like, it's not to be depressing, more of like, hey, you know, there might be some stuff after you do some specific, if somebody's seeking specific trauma treatment that you still maybe have to do around if you're having a lot of sexual symptoms to help kind of polish, polish those up, right? Okay, so and what that, so what would we do to polish those up? Like, right, what, well, what and then navigating this is, here. Like, yeah, and so it really, it really depends, again, uh, on what, this is the part that people don't like this, right? Like. It depends. Uh, it depends because you people want, and this is the this is part of the problem, right? People want a quick answer. Yeah, we do, Doc. They want I'm a quick the answer. Man in this podcast. And the whole point, my whole point of this entire topic is, there often isn't a quick answer, and so part of what people often have to do is work on building patience, resilience, hopefulness in the process, because. A lot of times trauma is not something that you can just like, especially if something feels if, if your brain is registered, something is so traumatic that you're starting to have like really like noticeable symptoms as a result of that. That means that something really pretty impactful happened and your brain's not just going to go, OK, we're done now. Right, right. Right. Like if it created that sort of symptoms, like some symptoms in the first place, it means that clearly it was impactful. And you can't just turn it on and off like a light switch because our brains don't work that way. Right. They say like, oh, we need to be afraid or we need to be scared or we need to have this uh, protective response. We're going to do that now. And it's doing it's trying to do you a favor. <laughs> Your brain is, but in a highly inconvenient way. And so that idea, right, that it's like, OK, well, how do we fix this? Well, it's not as much about like sometimes in trauma. And again, this is sometimes hard to think about, but it's not as much about fixing it. It's about how do I work to manage this over time and be patient and kind right. <laughs> with myself in this process? Because it usually is highly, highly individualized. Sure, sure. But one of the things that I think is an important shift, um, and it's hard because sometimes there can be the belief that like until I quote unquote, fix my trauma, I can't have good sex. Clearly that really like was something that you believed intensely because for whatever reason you tapped your hand on your table next to your oh, microphone. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Well, yes, because I do believe it, right? Because people are often, we often- Well, say it again, again Doc, say it again. I interrupted your flow. So say it one more time. We, we often get stuck in this narrative of like, if we're having, so trauma and like, so if people are experiencing a lot of symptoms and struggles post-trauma, right? Whether it's a, a, you know, you're meeting full criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder, or there's just specific symptoms, you're not meeting criteria for PTSD, but you definitely have symptoms related or coming out of that. Like, 
what we often want, and it's very understandable, I've wanted them for my own issues in life, right? Which is like, we want a quick fix. We want it to be done. Yep. And well, that's, a, that's society that we live in, you know? It's like, you know, give me a pill, give me a this, you know, let's, let's right. whatever, well, whatever the fix is, let's make the fix happen so I can get back onto my normal routine. But the brain, from everything I've learned here at the podcast with you, Doc, is that it's just not always that simple, which drives me bonkers because I want <laughs> you to be able to like, why can't we just right. go in and flip that switch? But, you know, if you had something horribly traumatic happen to you and you're struggling in this way, you know, give yourself a break, you know, forgive yourself. It's a lot, man. You know, going through hard times or going through something that was harder, you know, that it was emotionally impactful on your life. You know, like you said, doc, the brain likes patterns, right? And I, of course, am no expert except for an expert in love. And, but in my expertise, that is not an expertise officially that, you know, the brain, you know, when stuff happens, like the one thing I always found fascinating, you start talking about stuff like how the brain does things to protect you. Like, I always think that's really a fascinating thing. Like, the brain goes and, like, I'm going to close that door over here because, I'm, you know, you're, you're, you're in danger. I'm going to shut that down. You know, like, it, it doing things to protect you. So you got to be kind and give yourself a minute, right. you know? And I think well, that's, you know, anyway, vote for Jeremiah. That's what yeah. I think. <laughs> well, right. But that, that kindness and compassion in and of itself is work. Why? Because we also live in a world in which, you know, it might be hard at times for others to have empathy or understanding for that. And so it's it's often a really tricky negotiation. But one of the things that I felt passionately about, right, when I slammed my table is this idea that a lot of times people might feel like until my trauma or even get the messaging, but until my trauma is quote unquote fixed, I can't have a fun sexual life. And I don't think that that's actually true. Okay. I think one of the things like you're asking, what can we do? One of the things that I often work, because I'm often seeing people maybe after they've done something like the EMDR or after they've done a more intensive treatment. And I'm doing, I would call it like that polishing up work, right? The helping okay. managing residual symptoms work more often than not. That's actually where I'm coming in. Okay. Uh, and so a lot of times I'm helping people be like, all right, so you're still having some symptoms. But how can we help you shift focus from what's not feeling good, right? Or what still feels scary to start thinking about what can't like what already does feel good or like you can have both. It's both in. You can maybe both have a moment during, let's say, a sexual interaction where you feel triggered and still have a really good time, which is really mind bending for people. Yeah. Because it's sort of similar to like how I'm, you know, my I mind's bent just the way you described it. Right. And I'll, and I'll expand on it because it is sort of like a different idea. So it's actually really similar to what maybe you would do when someone has like a chronic pain issue. So let's say somebody has um, like a chronic back pain and it's just going to be ongoing, maybe because of some type of alignment issue or a fused, you know, whatever. I don't even, that's a terrible example. I know nothing. Clear. I'm not, I know nothing about spines, right? <laughs> but, but like we have one. Not there you that go. kind of doctor. Not that kind of doctor, right? But like there's something going on that's creating chronic things and you can't, it's not a quick fix, right? You're doing what you can to manage it, but you just have sort of a bad back. Right. You, a lot of times, if you can't fix it, then it's like, okay, well, how do you have maybe that pain experience and still try to have a good day and still try to be like, hey, I can have pain in my back, but also still have a really great day. Right. And there right. might be times where I have to take a break or there might be times where I have to do some adaptations, but I can still have a pretty good life even with back pain. That's sort of the exact, whenever there's a chronic medical condition, right, or a chronic health condition, that it's like, well, you may not get to turn this on and off like a switch. There's sort of two choices. One, which is, and they're hard choices. One is, well, I'm going to let this experience, right, or this, not only that I'm going to let it, but this experience is going to define the totality of my life and my experiences, right? So let's say in the back pain example, my life is going to become back pain, right? Or... A person can work, and I've seen a lot of really amazing people do a lot of resilience work to be like, well, I can have pain and still have a really enjoyable, meaningful life because those two things can coexist together. Right. And what I'm often doing with people is a very similar idea, which is you can have symptoms or things that show up or things that interfere, 
And guess what? We can make adaptations to that. We can, for instance, let's say someone's in a sexual encounter and they're doing something with a partner and it triggers uh, like a, a memory, right? Or something that feels like uh, more post-traumatic stress, maybe sort of like a like an intrusive thought of like a past traumatic experience. Now, a lot of times the impulse is like, like, okay, shut it down. It's all ruined. Right. Can't do anything. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. It's over. And sometimes what I'm helping people do is like, okay, let's see what happens if you pause and use a certain skill, right? And depending on the person, it might be a different skill and try to let that experience pass. And usually working also with partners, side note, I'll do, if this is happening with like a long-term partner, I'll be having partners come in to help them navigate that too. And then find something else that's not triggering in that way. If you can, sometimes you just got to end, but like ending in a different way, not ending in a like, okay, our experience was destroyed, but like, okay, I always tell people end on pleasure. Always. Uh, yeah. And so ending on pleasure doesn't mean like that you have to end with something overtly sexual. It could be that you like, and like doing some naked cuddling and watching Netflix, right? But whenever people end in sort of this, like a symptom happened or something interfered with this, and then it ends with sort of the metaphorical, both people rolling to their sides of their bed sad, that just reinforces this idea of like, see, these things are now defining our sex life. Yeah. And it doesn't help. And so part of what I'm helping people often really do is look at like, there's a lot of adaptations and there's a lot of things like, interestingly, some clients I have maybe everything around sex is triggering and side note, that might be a good indication that like, maybe there's still a little trauma work left to be done. Yeah. I was going to say right? that, if, that sounds like something that, you know, you should definitely go back and maybe, uh, you know, yeah, see or, a therapist or, or, yeah, yeah. or yeah. If somebody hasn't done maybe some specific trauma work yet, I might be like, okay, let's pause on this. But a lot of times if people have done some of that work or the symptoms are milder to more moderate, there's a lot of stuff that they can still do that isn't triggering. And so I'm helping people identify that. And how do we build on what does work? Yep. And trying to be like, okay, so if a symptom shows up while you're trying to be sexual, i.e., let me, let's say someone has a moment of panic. All right. How do we let that pass? And saying like, hey, I can let this pass. Here's some skills to let this pass. And then we can get right back to what we were doing. Or maybe somebody has certain positions that are triggering. Okay. Let's take those out. That's not the end of the world. Yeah. We do as humans tend to get in very all or nothing thinking. I agree. It, you know, and you've talked about that a lot on, on the podcast. And I, I think that's really great, you know, because it, it's so true. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Like you can just switch it up, change, take out one of those positions. Listen, and, and the reality is if you're dealing with a partner, right. And I'm just going to say this because, you know, doc probably wouldn't say something like this, but you know, if your partner's got a traumatic thing and you know, with a certain position and you might be your favorite position, just be kind, you know, like no big deal. You'll get back to it eventually. Like, you know, work with each other, you know, just right. be kind and understanding. Well, and I think part of the process of being kind and understanding is doing the work from both perspectives. Like, so I end up doing a lot of work with partners that also come in because sometimes, you know what I've actually found? I've actually found the partners are often really scared of making it worse. So then they themselves also become kind of anxious and avoidant or like, sure, I could totally see or, that. or they treat their partner like they're fragile. And here's the thing. If you treat someone like they're broken, they're going to feel more broken. What? Oh, wow. And, well, you know what? That's wow. That's a great one. I like that a lot. If you can treat, if, if so, say that again, doc. If you, if you treat someone like they're broken, they're going to feel broken. Oh, that's so good. That's so true. Oh man. That one hit me like a bullet. I felt that. Right. Continue. And, and so part of like, and, and it's hard for partners too, because partners, no one wants to be um, I, in this case, I'm presuming that trauma existed pre-partnership or wasn't involved with the partner, right? I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes that is what's happening, but oftentimes it has nothing to do with the partner. None of us want to feel like we're being punished for the crimes of others, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's hard. But the reality is the brain doesn't always work and catch up in that way. So a lot of times these things can feel like, why don't you trust me? I've been nothing but really supportive or gentle or whatever the thing might be with you or- right. I wasn't even there for this. <laughs> you didn't even know me yet. Like right. how am how am I getting sort of like lumped in the category? But the reality is, is that again, what's happening in a person's conscious brain and what's happening often in trauma in 
trauma response and particularly in their unconscious brain are two totally different things. Someone can be looking at you and think, oh my God, I love you. I trust you so much. And their brain can be just terrorizing them with warning, 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 do not touch, do not approach, do not. And that is such a hard thing. And, And to be empathic to partners in that situation, sometimes it's really hard to understand because the person themselves may not really be understanding what's going on. So a lot of what I'm helping people do is trying to talk to each other to really get that and to understand what's happening. Because if, so, you know, we talk about it all the time, like communication around that is going to really help. And a lot of times the problem is, is because it's painful, the instinct is to avoid. And so people don't communicate about it as much. And then it ends up becoming this like heavy cloud in sort of the relational dynamic. And so but it, it really is an important thing to be talked about. And oftentimes what's really interesting. And when I talk about like that idea of like, if you treat someone like they're broken, they'll feel broken partners in my experience, again, purely anecdotal are often less than like, they're trying to push ahead with stuff. Their partners aren't okay with they're being overly like, can I do this? Can I do that in a way that reminds their partner a lot that they're like, yeah, that's okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, for so, sure. So like, sometimes it's about like helping both people gain some confidence of like, Hey, like if you communicate enough and someone's feeling like, let's say triggered in some kind of way, like that they trust each other, that someone will check in with someone. And it's like, Hey, here are my cues. If I'm having like a freeze response. Okay. What are your cues? If like, how can we work through that? If you are having sort of an experience where you're going, you know, maybe you're having intrusive memory or in more severe cases, even like a flashback, right. Where someone can be like, all right, let's pause and proceed in some type of pleasurable way. And again, not catastrophizing that. Like we've talked about this before when we've talked about sexual dysfunctions, right? When people have like erectile dysfunction or like um, uh, difficulty orgasming, like when things aren't going right, our impulse is often to be like, we're done. Right. Right. Or it's like, like you were saying that all or nothing kind of. Yeah thinking but also this idea that like a sexual interaction has to have this flow with no interruptions i don't i don't think i've ever been in one of those (laughs) but like you know like it has to just have this easeful flow and if you have to pause for any reason somehow like that that that's not a successful sexual interaction right and so part of what i'm often helping people do is like being like the pauses are okay that's still you can still have a really fun sexual time even if you have to pause yeah and so a really big piece of what I'm often working with people to do is building hopefulness around like, hey, I can have trauma symptoms and still have a really great time. And also helping partners often be like, hey, my partner can be having trauma symptoms and still having a really great time. A really time. great time, yeah. And, and again, I should say that I'm talking more specifically when like someone's having like um, maybe more classic sort of post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress related symptoms. There are, like we talked about in the last episode, some other things that are more of like uh, what people would say is like um, out of control sexual behaviors. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different, we we don't have time. That, <laughs> that's a whole episode in and of that's itself. A, that's a whole separate episode, right. Where like, sometimes it's just more disorganized sexual behavior. Right. 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 Um, right. I do know we only have a little bit of time. So there's like two more things and I'll be, as brief as I can, man, about so, them. Yeah, so around. you're talking okay. another 20 minutes, as brief as you can be. What'd you say? Nothing, continue. It's your birthday, so I'll let you get away with it. Um, <laughs> okay, so the other thing that sometimes what happens, and I, and I spoke briefly about this in the last episode, but just to expand on a bit, is our brain sort of throws things in all the same hopper. And one of those things is arousal, right? So sexual arousal is arousal. Fear is arousal. Excitement is arousal. And so sometimes when people have had traumatic experiences, the brain starts to not know the difference and be able to discern the difference. And so sexual arousal can actually trigger a fear response because the brain goes, I'm aroused. Uh, That's bad. That's bad. (laughs) Scary. Because fear, again, is arousal. And so the brain is like, it, it's impulses to try to avoid anything that's creating that activation, essentially, right, 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 right. of the sympathetic nervous system or, or of sort of a sensation of that. And so a lot of what I'm helping people do is to try to discern what's the difference between not so great arousal, like fear-based arousal, of like I'm getting too activated, and sexual arousal. And essentially, I'm working with people to learn how to trust their bodies again. And to how to trust, like, I know the difference. And that often takes time. 
a lot of times, you know, it depends on the person. And, I'm working and, with and Doc, would that also like be like sadness, like it, the kind of thing, like, you know, so let's say your traumatic experience was like something that was emotionally, like you were talking about losing somebody in your life or, you know, like some kind of major life event. So like would arousal be around the same kind of thing, like, you know, uh, arousing the, the sadness or, or angst in it? Like, what we talk about? Um, know? I think that, um, arousal will be stuff that's more like in the realm of like fear, anxiety, excitement, sadness though. Mm, sadness is sort of, it's, I mean, it m might intersect, but sadness could absolutely be something that just frankly turns off someone's sexual dials, there right. Or makes them really hard to access. If someone's like, let's say struggling with like bereavement right so like extreme grief in one way shape or form usually people are i mean some to your point earlier right some people when they're grieving are like let me connect right right like or are really sad right or just about whatever there's just like a lot of struggles of sadness some people it might not be grief it might just be like a deeper sadness about something or loss somebody might be like I just need to be close to someone and I feel close to someone through being sexual. That's real. And some people might do that. And then there's just as many, if not more people that are like, I, my brain isn't even letting me think about sex. Because, right, right. So sometimes those things can create their own, so to your point, maybe their own sort of protective response, but maybe in a little different way. Okay. So okay, um, cool. So let's get back to what are, you're saying. Feelings like, are complicated. Yes, they um, are, Doc. That's why you exist, because they're complicated. So you were saying. I mean, I talk about this all day, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't know. That's really hard. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so like that, so like part of what I'm working with is to help people discern that and also start to give themselves permission again to feel excitement to yeah. feel arousal because sometimes it can feel like someone's doing like the brain is like wrong, wrong, wrong. You shouldn't be feeling excited or, or that type of like sort of the sensation of arousal because it's, it's activating. Got it. Um, the other sort of final piece, and I want to say this because I think that it is like one of the biggest um, it's comp it's complicated, but it's a really big problematic narrative we have. There's a lot of, associations that people make between certain types of like kinky sex or kinky sexual interests and histories of sexual trauma. Okay. So you'll hear it in movies and film all the time where somebody might be like, oh, she's into some weird shit. She must have had something bad happen, right? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. Is that a thing? Is that really a thing? Well, right. So no, no, right? That's, that's <laughs> like ridiculous, not, right? Mean, it's, like, not... it's like that old adage of like, you know, like when we we're talking to Nolina Nix, the porn star, and like, you know, like people are talking about, you know, adult film stars, excuse me if I'm saying it incorrectly, but, you know, like, oh, well, that she became an adult film star because, you know, she had sexual trauma in her past. That's usually the scenario. I'm like, is it? Is it really? Well, and here's the thing. Like, do some people, I mean, statistically speaking, a lot of people have had sexual trauma. Right. A lot of people, way more men, side note, than people realize, like, or male-identified people. And obviously, we talk a ton about femme-identified people. A lot, a lot of people have had sexual trauma. And so it starts to get very muddy and different types of sexual trauma and different degrees of sexual assault or trauma or uh, abuse in some kind of way. And so... <laughs> To say that is like, well, I don't know, is like half the population kinky? I don't know. Like, do right. you know what I mean? It's hard to create those connections. And I've worked with plenty of people that have kinky interests that have no history of any type of trauma. And so I just want to say out loud from a couple angles, that's a problematic narrative, right? However, some people might have that associate. They might have a history, but that doesn't mean that their kinky interests or whatever they like are now somehow problematic or pathological just because somebody has a history of a traumatic experience. It really, what more matters than not is like the person, are they feeling enjoyment and pleasure and do they feel good and healthy about the way that they're engaging in whatever their sexual interest in is, right? So if it's a kinky interest, like, 
you know, I know plenty of people that do those things, like do like engaging kinky or BDSM sort of things in ways that are like highly consensual, re- much more thoughtful than some folks I know with vanilla interest. Right, right, totally. Um, highly thoughtful, highly communicative, consensual ways, right? And so that I say that it is a cultural association that I think is highly problematic. And so I say that out loud. I I will say, right, like some people might draw for themselves some of those associations, right, where it's like I have these kind of interests and they do seem like they came out of maybe some certain uh, experiences I had. And when I care, the only time I care about that is if it's bothering the client. Right. Does that mean yeah, it's bothering the person? If they're like, hey, I had this extreme sort of sexual interaction. Let's say, uh, let's say somebody is now sort of having a lot of interest in forced sex fantasies, which as an aside are a very common type of fantasy. And we talked about it last time mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. like, that, you know, it's not uncommon for somebody to have a sexual assault or a sexual experience. And then sometimes to be like eroticizing things that happen within that assault. And for some people that can really freak them out, right? That can really make them scared. And one of the things that I often work with people around that is like, you know, A, that's not an uncommon response and B, okay, how do we work with that? And how do we work with that fantasy that's now showing up? Cause I don't necessarily always, I mean, there's, it's hard to get rid of an interest that develops, Yeah. but how do we work with that in a way that helps you feel empowered? That helps you feel like you're like, if it's, let's say it's a forced sex fantasy, like, Reality is that's a fantasy, right? You're in control of that. You now have the power and control. You have the power and control of when it stops, how it ends, right? And so sometimes, interestingly, and, and it feels very counterintuitive for people, and people listening might even be like, ah, that seems intense. But like sometimes for some people, actually figuring out how to lean into and control fantasies that occur like that, that might show up for them, can be a really empowering thing. For sure. I can see that. Yeah. And just because it's associated with past trauma doesn't mean now that somehow that has to be psychologically damaging. The devil is often in the details. Now, everything I'm talking about, this is stuff you probably would want to sort out with a Yeah, you want to go talk to somebody. This is not something you have a chat with your girlfriends uh, over brunch. You know what I mean? It's probably something you want to... I mean, I get support, right? Because a lot of times people normalize things in ways that you didn't even realize. People have to probably... 100%. And and, and I just want to be clear, you know, I'm not trying to knock anybody for going to brunch. I'm just saying, you know, some of the things you're talking about are pretty intense and you might just want to, you know, try to find somebody to reach out to and and have a talk with a professional like the doc. So thank you, doc. Right. For for bringing all of this up, helping navigate the trauma. You're taking a deep breath. Did I interrupt you? you have no, something more no, to no. Say? I have one one last. I thing. knew it. I could see you took a breath. You were like, oh, he's closing it down. I have one last thing. I, I would encourage every listener, you yourself as well, Jeremiah. No. As I have been talking, do you notice that you placed into when you were imagining things I was talking about? Did people notice that they were placing women or female identified people in the positions of people that have been traumatized? Or were they also thinking about men and male identified people? Because a lot of times when we talk about trauma and sexual impact, people automatically think about women and female identified folks. Yeah. And they often do not think about these things impacting men and male identified people. Mm-hmm. And I have just as many clients (laughs) that are male or masculine identified in some kind of way that also have had traumatic experiences that impact their sexual functioning. There you go. Anyway, just something to think about. No, you know, I'm really glad you bring that up, Doc, because it's something, you know, one day maybe we'll talk more about. You know, I've run into situations in my life where uh, I had been actually you know, run into had sexual trauma from men, you know, never abuse or anything like that directly. But, you know, there were things that I've run into in my life, you know, and as a as a man, as a cisgender man that when I was younger, you know, was told that's not that's, you know, 
kind of brushed off like no 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 you know that that's only things that happen to girls you know uh, or women who identify uh, people who identify as women right uh so you know no it's it's a real thing and i'm really glad you brought that up because it's something that should be talked about more it's not just uh you know women it, it happens to men as well and it can be very very difficult so men out there who've experienced that just so you know jeremiah james is one of those men people you know it's it's a real thing so thank you for bringing that up doc mm -hmm. and maybe one time we'll talk about it Who oh knows? no we will that will absolutely be a topic we'll talk about at absolutely. some point in time because it's not talked about enough and it can lead to a lot of people feeling very isolated in those experiences absolutely so. totally totally 100 percent. well doc thank you for everything that you do Thank you for uh, being so kind and, uh, you know, I just appreciate you so much and I appreciate what everybody in your field does. Uh, don't forget to say hello to my friend Laura Rodemacher because I want to hear about EMDR, MDR, um, whatever, whatever it was. EMDR. <laughs> I was right. I'm EMDR. And uh, yeah. So listen, out there, folks, if you're having any of these struggles or you've run into this kind of trauma, we always say, you know, go and find someone to talk to like the doc to help you through it. And remember... You're not alone, and uh, we care about you here at the University of Pleasure. We want you all to feel better and find your way back to pleasure, like the doc says. Always end with something pleasurable, so we're going to end with something pleasurable. Uh, you forgot my birthday a second time. This is How two is years, and it's pleasurable for me because it's very rare that I get to you give know, you I a get, hard here time. Is my, here is my birthday <laughs> gift to you. My birthday gift to you, Jeremiah, is routinely forgetting your birthday, so then you get the joy of guilting me about forgetting your birthday. <laughs> See? See how much pleasure I'm getting? Yeah, I think it's legitimately your preferred experience on your birthday. I have so little. I have so little <laughs> to hold on to in these moments, Doc. I gotta take what I can get. So listen, everybody out there, we hope you have a really wonderful week. We'll talk to you again next week. Take care of yourself and each other. Just remember to be kind to one another. And we'll talk to you all again soon. Bye, Doc. Bye. Happy birthday. Thank you. This episode of the University of Pleasure was produced, directed, and edited by me, Jeremiah James. It was written by Dr. Tara Jansen and me, Jeremiah James. The University of Pleasure theme music was written by the incomparable Robert Felstein. And special thanks to our new associate producer, Kyle Binkley. And please remember, we want to be as inclusive as possible of the diverse experiences of others here at the University of Pleasure. So please email us your suggestions for topics that might be suited to you directly, questions, feedback, or just really great sex stories at contact at universityofpleasure.com. 